Intersection Magazine Podcast. Welcome to Intersection Magazine Podcast. So for this episode, I'm interested in um, a subject that um, is dear to me. Um, religion and at some point I think I'm also going to have a discussion about politics but with politics I, I, I guess the approach would be slightly different when I had some conversations with my dad before um, his definition of politics was rather broad and for him he viewed politics really as a distribution of resources. And if you think about it, that distribution of resources takes place in daily life. So governance is not really uh, at the heart of politics, but really distributing resources. Um, but I guess that's going to be a subject for another day. Now, the re- reason why I'm interested in the subject of religion is because I hear so many stories about investors or people that have business interests that go to other places, say Japan or Asia or America. And before they go to these places, they have consultations with maybe residents or historians or experts and who live in these regions and they they really want to know how the people think you know you don't want to engage with the japanese without giving having some understanding of what it is like to live in japan the culture of the japanese um the customs of uh, the nature of leadership, uh, uh, what it is to be a man in Japan, what it is to be a woman, what it means to establish a business, how the Japanese think about their history and um, how they how they run their families, how they run their corporations, what they think about doing business to the West, all sorts of other interests. But we get very few conversations about some of the larger constituents who make up the religious world. And for that, we'll be talking about maybe the Christians, the Muslims, the Buddhists, uh, the Hindus, um, as well as, uh, to another extent, the, the atheists. So very few people will give you information or or. Or, or insights as to how to do business with people of religious faith. And I think you need to have a bit of this knowledge if you're going to capture the interests 
of some of this specific religion. So I am presenting the ideas of, uh, of uh, the faith to which I subscribe, uh, or which I have attempted to subscribe for the better part of my life. Um, this podcast will be split into quite a number of sections, which I'll explain later, um, or expand on later. But I was thinking of having a section on um, the role of religion in the teaching of morals, bad governance, and the rise of cult movements, the pastor as a life coach and mentor, the church as an alternative family in a collapsed society, incurably religious nature of the typical African, the church and its position on giving, sects, cults, and culture, crises and sexuality, historical errors, monotheism, Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, and Buddhism. So it's about probably maybe 10 or 12 sections. So I hope you guys find some benefit in this material. Um, Once again, thank you for listening. So those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while know that we did an episode in which we talked about Silicon Valley Bank and um, we also did an, uh, an episode where we talked about um, FTX, uh, an exchange started by a young man called Sam Bagwan Freed. Now, if you look at um, Sam Bagwan Freed, the thing that made him so attractive was um, he seemed to represent a new breed of leaders. Not very showy or uh, attractive on, in the sense of fast cars and uh, living the uh, openly uh, wealthy and luxurious life, but uh, something different. And even those who interviewed him um, talked about how he was planning to give away all his wealth at some point in time, wealth that he had accumulated um, in investments and in his work with cryptocurrencies. And this is probably, you could say the same of uh, uh, some of the new breed of leaders that's coming up probably under the age of 40. Um, this is most probably of prominent in the business world. Um, we, I believe we are, we are yet to get the full story, and I might revisit uh, the FTX story at a later stage, because what is happening right now is 
a lot of the people that opposed him um, and his company and his uh, activities have ended up investing and taking advantage of the opportunities that he saw as well as some of the infrastructure that he put in place. And this is the same story with um, the founder of Binance, who happens to be a Chinese man, um, who was incidentally uh, kicked out or asked to uh, leave um, some of the operations or some of the projects or some of the uh, activities that he was trying to bring or put into place um, in the American system. Now, for um, some of the hype and some of the activities in the crypto space as well as in technology in general, what really has come to the surface for those who subscribe to uh, the faith or some kind of code is the idea that there has been or there is a moral gap in our leadership. And this cuts across all sectors, whether it's political or whether it's business as well as religious, naturally. So the question is, what role can religion play in filling those gaps that exist uh, in the morals of, I guess, society? Or uh, how can your religion? Is it Islam? Is it Christianity? Is it Buddhism? Are you an atheist? Um, whatever religion you subscribe to, can it help in bridging or in filling the gap, the moral gap that we have in leadership? And to a great extent, let me speak at least for what I, what some of what I understand in Christianity, that there is or there seems to be a system in place that allows for at least some kind of tracking or some kind of accountability um, for those who are in leadership, at least for those who are in leadership in uh, Christian circles or uh, what the Christians call the church. And when Christians speak about the church, they have what they refer to as the body of Christ, which is, um, which actually goes beyond uh, a physical building. It represents those who subscribe or who are believers in um, the sonship of, uh, of Christ, uh, who believe in his death and resurrection, uh, 
and a set of beliefs, including um, the virgin birth and uh, what uh, is called, I guess, the, the canon. You will find references to what is required for those in leadership in the church. Um, a man who desires to be a leader in the church has specific sets of requirements which he should meet. Some of these are described in the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament seems to be a little bit more liberal or forgiving in terms of the role that kings, priests, and then everybody else had at least for um, the people who in the Christian faith are referred to as the people of God. So... Those are really some of the questions that I think um, I put to you or some ideas that I put to you in your discussions about mor morals and leadership for those who choose to get into the business world and for those who choose to be um, part of what Christians call the secular world, whether that's education, whether that's politics and everything else. Now, the second part is, there is, at least I've noticed this, and you can uh, find links for about this if you want, if you look at some parts of history. I found that there is a connection between bad governance and cult movements. And your definition of cult uh, uh, may be different, but generally it's um, a group that creates a, a set of beliefs that's independent of the mainstream. Now that may be beneficial because sometimes these kinds of changes need to be made and historians, or at least church historians, will make reference to some of the changes that took place in the church through uh, the Lutherans and Martin Luther. Um, when he brought about the reformation of the church. So there are benefits uh, to these kinds of movements if the rejection of the bigger movement causes significant enough changes that can affect the thinking, especially if these small movements realize that there has been an error in the general direction or the general pursuit of the goal. Now, the third part I wanted to talk about was the reference or the idea of a pastor as a life coach. 
and a mentor. This, I think, is my observation having been here in Uganda for about 15 years. When you observe the role that the pastors play here, they are almost like parents. They have to tell you how to act when you visit the embassy. They tell you how they became relatively wealthy. They tell you or they mentor you through the process of finding a spouse or a wife or a partner. They tell you or they point you towards what you need to do in terms of education, if they're open enough to that system of education. They guide you when you need to purchase a new car or when you need to be content with the car that you have. And perhaps I think one of the most controversial leaders we ha we've had in the recent times has been a church in a place called Kawala or Kawala because he came in with a different style of leadership. He would sit on his throne-like chair in front of the congregation and he would ask his congregants, what will you... Um, what will you not forget when you die or before you die? And in the language I speak, it says, Chichi Choli Fatawe And you'd have long lines of his congregants talk about the things that they'd been through, whether it was a relationship with us, with a, in a, in a large family, with a stepmother, or a parent, or an uncle, or a teacher, or life in, in the slums. And he would literally do counseling um, live on television with these people, and you'd hear all sorts of interesting and sad stories. Some people would, would cry, others he would comfort. And even if he was attacked from all sorts of directions because of some of what he taught, you could see he was fulfilling a much-needed role in the lives of his congregants. So the pastor in Uganda is really a life coach and mentor. Some, of course, take that to the extreme and decide who he will marry and... Um, get into the lives of their congregants. But they have a role to play. Now the extension of that is the church is also an alternative family in a collapsed society. And what this means is if you're having trouble with the people you believe to be your family, then you, there is a possibility that you will find a new family when you engage with your congregation or the people who 
you subscribe to as your family or your congregation or your church or your fellowship. And some of these relationships, especially the genuine ones, end up being very useful in your later life because sometimes that is where some people find their their partners. Now, the third part is a quote I had about Africans, and they said, the quote said, I don't remember who it was, he said that Africans are incurably religious. And I've had uh, something similar to that expressed on social media in the recent days, and it it's the idea that we can do a religion, or we can do religion better than any other culture on earth, even if that religion is imposed on us by others, which is usually the case when someone wins a war, um, they impose their religion on those that are vanquished. Now, the other dilemma we face is when we speak about the cradle of civilization, what that means is when you find the cradle of civilization, you will find where everything began. So that's all sorts of things. That's religion. That's culture. That's industry, that's uh, ways of thinking from philosophy to, uh, to you name it. When you find the cradle of civilization, you found the source of everything. You found Eden. What's troubling, for those of you who are looking for Eden, at least in the Bible, is when you find this physical location, you will also have found a place with a lot of wealth. And those of you who've watched, um, I think it was the Raiders or the Lost Ark, the series that uh, um, was done of probably in the 80s, early 90s, what that group was looking for was they were looking for the the Ark of the Covenant as a source of power. The Ark of the Covenant is spoken of in the Old Testament as the actual presence of God. So there are quite a number of dynamics at play when you think about the religious or the incurably religious nature of the African man. The next idea I wish to discuss is the church and its position on giving. The belief is taken from uh, teachings that are familiar with those who subscribe to the Jewish faith, although some of those parts are not uh, practiced to the present day. But it's the belief that one-tenth of everything you earn must be given to, um, to God. 
unto those who are in service of him. There is also a belief in what is called the first fruits, that any endeavor you take, um, the when you harvest or when you are able to find fruit from that endeavor, the first part of what you profit or what you harvest um, belongs uh, to to God. Um, then there is just um, a culture that's encouraged to to give to the poor. So those are positions that uh, people who subscribe to uh, predominantly Pentecostal faith, probably some parts of the Anglican Church, um, believe in. The other idea that's really prominent has to do with sexuality. And a lot of our political debate in the current age is centered around the LGBTQ question. LGBTQ meaning lesbians, um, bisexuals, gays. and uh, queers. Now, the challenge that many of the faith or many Christians face is we have difficulty harmonizing the beliefs, the strong beliefs of the Old Testament God and the manner in which he dealt with the historical city of Sodom and Gomorrah, with our New Testament challenges or ideas or reflections of a loving, uh, graceful, forgiving God and the message of his son. If you read the book of Romans, you will find some pretty stern words from the writer of the book of Romans, who we believe to be Paul. And what he basically says is, at some point when men began to worship what was created and not the creator, then... God turned them over to their evil desires. Now, if you read the teachings of Jesus, you will find that he makes quite a lot of reference to kingdoms. And in his conversations with his disciples, there are times when he spoke in parables to uh, or, or stories that needed to be explained and there are times when he spoke openly. But one part that I think some of us have ignored is a part where he speaks about eunuchs. And eunuchs are people who, in service of their king, would, I suppose, castrate themselves 
in order not to bring or in order not to bring a threat to the king or his queen so i suggest that you look into that subject for a better understanding on what it means for someone to deny themselves access to sexual pleasure for the sake of serving a kingdom or a king now i also highly recommend that you read or that you listen to the works of Dr. Miles Monroe because his insights into what it means to have a kingdom are so important and have been ignored he speaks about how a kingdom or how a king has a domain which he runs and how he is responsible for all his subjects for providing for his subjects and how the the role of uh, those who are uh, in the military they play in the kingdom he speaks about um the authority of the king he speaks about the leadership structures in a kingdom and naturally also there are some useful conversations you could have about princes and princesses in this kingdom now if you notice he makes some very interesting references when he is talking about the last days he really speaks in terms of presidents he speaks about kings and kingdoms he makes reference to queen sheba he makes reference to solomon and for those who study the old testament you read about a gathering of kings in a valley of decision with a battle that is referred to as Armageddon so in this subject of sexuality i suppose you would benefit if you think about the bigger implications of having uh people in your service that deliberately choose not to express their rightful right or their position or use of their sexuality now one of the things that we have also ignored is um people who are born with both uh organs 
which is really common in places like India. And I suppose if you read or look into the subject of creation, some have argued that Adam was fully male and fully female at the same time. And the creation of Eve was just the separation of what was once a fully male-female form. But for those who um, struggle with the idea of reconciling the Old Testament God and the New Testament uh, expression of God through his Son, I also suggest that you think of yourselves <clears throat> as judges who have to interpret the written law and keep a strict adherence to the written law as well as understand your current challenges in a practical space. So the best judges are really those who are able to get or to fulfill the restrictions of the written law and pass judgment that reflects their times, their challenges, the thoughts of their peers, and that get all the evidence that's gathered um, from the witnesses and from all those who present um, their arguments before those judges. Now, the next part is really about historical errors, and for that, we're making reference to the Crusades, uh, the Spanish Inquisition, some aspects of colonialism, um, which really taint the image in which many view uh, religious movements or, or the church. So you need to have at least a sense of awareness when you approach people with your faith or if you're on the other side of the faith and you wish to do business with people in the faith, especially if they are attached to certain religions, you need to be aware of these historical errors. The last part is really um, a split between the religions who believe or, or who subscribe to one God versus those who subscribe to many gods. 
this is important because it helps you um, have a better sense of how to frame your message um, as well as how to approach those who you wish to do business with. In Uganda, we often have stories about um, Singapore and the successes that Singapore made with the leadership of a man called Lee Kuan Yew. But I heard a recording in which he spoke quite strongly about uh, Christianity. And I suppose he felt that sometimes the faiths that speak of themselves as the only true path to God can be threatening to Eastern cultures, which think slightly differently. Now, when you are doing business with Christians, you will be tempted to to make references to what you believe, uh, maybe um, cover up some of what you subscribe to. But if you find those who are tapped into their faith, they will see right through you. So I suggest you're open about what you subscribe to and if possible offer um, a good product that suits the needs of those who you are trying to um, do business with. Now, for uh, one of our episodes, I spoke about an idea that was being developed in the Islamic world called Islamic banking. And it's uh, more prominent in some of the Middle Eastern, Af Middle Eastern countries where they want to create a banking system that allows people who subscribe to the Islamic faith to get loans at no interest because it is forbidden for them in their belief to charge interest to those who subscribe to the same faith. That is an example of a belief within a religion that can be useful to know when you're doing business with a person who subscribes to a particular faith. 
um, other intricacies around faith or belief you can explore uh, by creating as much engagement with those who um, believe different without necessarily being too confrontational. I hope that you have benefited from some of the ideas that I have shared. Um, instead of splitting this into the 12 or so constituent parts, I decided to just have it all as one. And hopefully, when you listen to it, you will be able to navigate and make sense of all of it. Thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing.